Good morning, River City. It is so good to see everybody here. My name is Antramika Knight. I have the pleasure of welcoming you this morning. We're so happy that you're here. Um, today, the lectionary has a little surprise for us. We're not <laughs> reading from Psalms. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> it's Isaiah, which is a canticle. Um, and what that means is those are songs and texts throughout the Bible um, that are praised and filled with hymns, but they're not actually in Psalm. So again, that's why the lectionary is a good resource for learning, devotionals, um, just really getting into the word. I didn't know what that was until this week, actually, too. Um, and it's Isaiah, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> uh, it's Isaiah 12, um, verses two through six. And it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds amongst the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Father God, as we gather here at River City, we thank you for those who are visiting, those who are returns, those who are serving. We thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our worship team. Father God, we pray as we journey today, as we learn about salvation, as we hear songs, as we think about those things that are burdened on our hearts, as we think about our community, we pray that all of these things just turn our eyes towards the heavens, that we proclaim and exalt you, Father God, that we remind ourselves that you are holy and that you are good and that you are perfect. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to stay standing or if you're sitting to stand and we're going to begin to pray uh, outward for our community this morning. I want to encourage us that our hope is living, that it's not a distant hope. We're not hoping in something that is to come way in the future, but we might believe that God might do it now. So it says in Isaiah 12, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. So God, today we begin to seek you and call on your name to proclaim your name as exalted in all the earth. So if you would pray with me, whether you're just agreeing with me as I pray or praying out loud. For the universal church, its members and its mission, God, we pray for all those gathering in communities even right now surrounding River City. God, those that may, that may exalt your name, God, we rejoice with them that your name is being heard at the corners of our city. God, for the persecuted church, God, we continue to pray for China. This week they had fingerprint and facial scanning software installed in many of their churches so they could be tracked. And so God, we pray, uh, God, for policy to change 
God, we ask that the churches would be protected. God, that you would be their protector, not from something on the outside, but God, from you. God, today we mourn the loss of a Catholic priest and his father who were martyred on Monday by the Islamic State in Syria. God, we weep and mourn with their families and their communities and their congregation that is without. God, we thank you this week for the Turkish president who vowed to rebuild some Kurdish churches. God, we thank you that that the, the places of worship might be restored in Kurd in, in Syria. God, we pray for the Nigerian pastor who was released by Boko Haram after seven months of captivity this week. God, we thank you. We thank you, God, for bringing him and the others back. God, we rejoice, and God, we pray that he might be restored for any damage, both psychological and physical. So in light of these things, we proclaim that the name of Jesus be exalted in all the earth. God, for our world and all those in it, God, for the fires that continue in Australia, that they might cease, God, that you'd bring comfort to all those that are affected. God, for those who are still being affected in the Bahamas, uh, God, we pray for comfort, strength for those that are recovering. God, we pray for those in Santa Clarita who are affected by the shooting this week and the two that died and others who are still in critical condition. God, we pray that you would heal those people, God. God, that you might restore families, God, even in the midst of deep pain. God, that you would bring the church around these communities. God, for the Kurds and the unrest in Turkey. God, we also pray, God, for the protests in Hong Kong. God, that you might show your church how to respond. Show compassion. In light of these things, we proclaim that the name of Jesus be exalted in all the earth. For the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, God, with the local runoff coming on December 3rd, God, we pray that unity would come across party lines. God, that we might love our neighbors beyond anything else in this city and that we might be an example to the surrounding cities. God, for all those who are affected by sexual abuse in our community, both those in this room and those outside, God, that you would release people from captivity. God, that you would bring justice to the captors God, that you would give us a voice to be a safe place and a haven, God, for those who are abused and feel like they have no voice. God, for the orphans and foster children in our area, that you might fill us with compassion, move us to action, even those in this community, to do something. In light of these things, we proclaim the name of Jesus, that he might be exalted in all the earth. For the concerns of this local community and all those who suffer in it, God, we pray for the Hamill's friend, Nick Risden, God, that he might be brought back. God, even that he, his voice might be heard. God, that you would restore his body and restore his hope in you. God, for Joe Green's cousin who suffered a brain aneurysm on Friday and had emergency surgery, God, we pray for healing. God, for those who need a home, God, for Paula and Leona, God, we pray that you might provide their needs as they seek you first. For Sherry Kinsler's sister, father, and niece, where we specifically pray for her niece today, that you might give her courage to seek help as she's struggling through an eating disorder. God, that you might provide endurance for all of us as we seek to follow you today, tomorrow, and in the days ahead. And in light of these things, we proclaim that the name of Jesus might be exalted in all the earth. And we call on you, God, for all of these things that we've said and all of these things that are hidden, 
that you might give us courage to make our requests known to you, that you would bring healing to us and to those beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been um, kind of traveling through the idea of these two things being spiritual formation and community transformation or mission and discipleship and how we're the kind of church that really wants to do these things together and not just choose one because it's really easier to build something around the idea of one of them. But the tension between two of them is where I think we're meant to live, being formed inwardly to be sent, right? It's the idea that we really can't give anything we don't have. Um, it's the thing we dislike a lot about a lot of churches or leaders in our lives that they seem to be saying things that they're not actually doing. We all have frustrations around that. We've all actually been that as well. Uh, as easy it is to throw a stone at someone for doing that, we're all pretty much trained to do that because true spiritual formation takes longer than any of us would really enjoy it to take. Anything worth anything usually takes longer than we would like it to take. And the same is with mission. We can pop in somewhere, take some pictures, and then show you a picture on stage and brag about it and post it on Facebook. Is that truly mission, right? Like, what does mission look like if it's actually mission? It looks like relationships happening and starting and getting to know. And so it's, it's a tension that we, we feel like we're called to if we're going to be here forever. Um, there's ways around that. You know, there's books that tell you how to do it. And it's something for me that in the past couple of weeks, I've just been asking real questions like, what's the purpose of River City? Like, I, I know what a lot of people, we all have our own things we impose upon the body of Christ, but like, what's the purpose? Why are we here? And I was reminded sitting with our network director, Tom Tanner, who is at Riverstone Church. This week, we were just sitting talking about what's happening for our church. And she was like, listen, maybe it's time for you to just be reminded, right? Like, there's a way to settle into this thing and make sure everybody's getting what they need and make sure you're getting what you need and have enough money to survive. And there's a way to settle into it. But do you want to do that? Is that what you're doing? Are you trying to settle into this for the rest of your life? Or do you need to be reminded of why you're here in Smyrna? And I needed to be reminded, even though I want that, that we are here, and some of you aren't going to like this phrase, to reach the lost. I, don't, I know you're not going to like that phrase because I don't like that saying, the lost, because that imposes things on people. But we talked about it a few weeks ago. What does it mean to be lost? And that word actually comes from a word that means being destroyed. So what does it mean to reach people who are being destroyed in the process of being destroyed? I want to do that. That's why we're here. What does it look like for someone who is dying on the inside to find redemption, to find freedom? to find identity in Christ, to have a space of peace and joy? I mean, how many people in your lives are completely lack on peace and joy and just comfortable with the busyness? We're not even at a point anymore where we're like, maybe we're too busy. We're all too busy and we're okay with it and we just rather not talk about it, right? I mean, one of the passages today that I didn't choose was from Thessalonia and it, it said that the church had become idle by being busybodies. That was a connection I hadn't made before, that the church had become idle by being busybodies. Is that, is that America? Is that us? My hopes is it's not. And as I was here last week, if you were, weren't here last week, raise your hand. It's literally like every week we have a new community. It's awesome. <laughs> so right at about this time, last week, the fire alarm went off and we ended up in the parking lot. It was awesome during meet and greet. 
So it was a really good meet and greet, actually. <laughs> I legitimately left thinking that was probably the best meet and greet we've ever had. So the plan to do the fire alarm worked. I noticed last week that across the body there was a tone of almost like whatever's right before despair, like a little bit of hopelessness, a lot of situations where people feel like they just would rather be out of those situations, probably a lot of people praying prayers about being from where they're at to somewhere else and not knowing what to do with the tension, maybe a feel of like I'm close to giving up, maybe that. I noticed it last week, and then I noticed the the things the church was dealing with and how each of our staff members were walking through scenarios that would possibly, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit and desire for Christ, lead us to a space where we would just like to give up, right? Especially Jordan last week. You guys didn't know this, but so many things happened for him in the week he was preaching, which is just interesting. Every week he preaches, it's like that. We had a break-in downstairs the night before, a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment stolen, a renter that was renting the space, uh, which is what the space is designed for. You know, they, it almost messed up an event. We came in here, they were painting the parking lot, we couldn't park. Uh, we were receiving emails about how we were, <laughs> the email Bill got was the best email ever. We got it during explaining, asking people, I walked out and I was like, can, can you just tell me when this is going to wrap up? I, that was probably not as nice as that, but in my mind, I was that nice. We got an email saying, could you remind your Christian uh, people that the parking lot can't be parked any other day? And I was like, touche. <laughs> Good form. Uh, and Bill sent, a kind e- Bill sent a kind email to them. So that's, I don't think that's surprising at all. <laughs> Is it surprising? So I just say that to say, we typically live more in a space where we're not there yet, right, than being there. And I think possibly a lot of us live in attention and even anxieties built around what we think should be here now, and it's not here yet. While what I've seen happen my whole life is the spaces before you get there are those spaces where God does some of the best work. It's not our favorite work. It's not the work that we would choose, but it's the work that gets us where we need to be. And the passage I'm going to read you today is from Isaiah and It's considered a psalm because it's meant to be sung by a group of people 200 years at least before they would see what the song was celebrating. They're asked to sing a song. A prophet's told to bring the song to them. Here's a little history on this group, though. This community of people were God's chosen people. They're the community that God wanted to dwell in and did dwell in. This community of people, after receiving the things that God had given them, things like a place, a land, fruit, help, the ability to breathe out, had lost track of what it meant to be in covenant with God. And the the key signifiers were they stopped helping the weak and the poor, and they became friends with oppression. They became okay with injustice. So injustice was permeated within the framework of society. And instead of the Christian body having a voice into the injustice, they became friends with it. I don't know if this hits home with us, maybe a little bit. So, as God does cyclically, he sends a prophet in to say, here's what's coming. And it's called judgment, and it's judgment for, these are things you just don't preach today, about a community that is being judged by their sin, destruction is coming because God is angry. Amen? Many of those things are the reasons why most of you don't want to be in church. And I I get it, right? I get it when you don't have the lens of Christ to look at the scriptures. 
I get it that until 2,000 years ago, we couldn't see what God intended for our communities. But we're on the other side of that now looking back, but we still deal with some of the same thing. So this community is basically weaned off their idea that they were what was most important. I had some words that I can't remember. Pride, fear, entitlement. And so here's the horrifying part of what happened. Up to 90% of this community of people were destroyed. So I think that means that 90% of the people in this room don't have to worry about this 70% of the time. Amen? But 10% of people, 10% of the people still leaned on God. And we know that because back in chapter 10, verse 20, you can pull this up, he actually prophesies about what would come. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. So this is the picture. Cyclically, they're taken out of where they had the land. They're taken into captivity by the Assyrians. God would eventually punish the Assyrians. They're now at a place where they're living in captivity, hoping for something they probably never tasted and singing a song for their grandchildren that will live in it. So I'm going to read you this really quickly. Isaiah 12, do you have the whole? Yeah, okay. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Pray with me really quickly. Lord, this is a tough passage. I'm not going to pretend like it's not, and I don't want to make it something it's not. So help today. When I think about the text that you've given us, I think it's not just a document. It's meant to be breathed in and breathed out. It's your breath. It's, it's sacred. It's not just another text. It's not just a statement of documents or truths for us to live by and have to avoid the tough parts in between. It comes in metaphor, it comes in story, it comes with poignant truth, but comes mostly to share the person and nature and work of Jesus Christ and should always be leading us to his feet. So in this message today, I pray that that's what would happen. That as people leave, they are led to your feet, the sustainer, the king, the servant, The Father, the Son, the one who would die, the one who would be raised, the one who is alive. So that in that connection, we can be alive. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. Just really quickly about a prophet. So in this passage, God is giving the prophet a message that he is beginning to experience real time to give to others. So he has to embody the hope for all those who are with him who would then 
embody the hope. The, un- the weird thing about this passage is that for me, and I just liken it to the people I deal with every week, when people are hopeless, does me just telling them God's going to come through help, right? Like, God's going to do this for you, right? Like, just to me, that almost feels like I don't want to be a part of what's happening in someone's life. And so in this community, if they're 200 years out, if they're singing songs about what their great-grandchildren would experience, how can they embody hope? And I felt like what was supposed to happen for you guys was not this idea that I'm supposed to lead you to a place where you don't have to depend on God or make a mountaintop moment happen for you. Whenever the good thing happens for any of us, it's really easy to trust, right? Like when the thing that you've waited for comes to pass, you don't have to have faith. You don't have to be built up. You don't have to lean into anything. But when it's not happening, which is typically all the other times, how is it possible to have the kind of joy and exuberance and life that you have when you're there? And the only answer I have is the answer that I have to lean into for myself is that before I see anything come to pass, the only sustenance, the only truth, the only place that I can be where I can completely be free is in the presence of Christ. So we shake our heads at that, but that's troubling to over half of you because when you hear in the presence of Christ, that doesn't even make sense to you. I had somebody in our body a month ago who came for the first time and said, it sounds great what you said to be in the presence of Christ, but what does that even look like? When you talk about it, you talk about it like it's an easy thing. What does it look like to be in the presence of Christ? Who's ever struggled with feeling like they don't know how to be in the presence of Christ? Just really, right? Like, for those of us who were raised in churches who celebrate intimacy, prayer, worship, connection with God, right? Like, this is an easier conversation. But for those who have never been in that spot, how do we become the community that shares and proclaims the gospel of Jesus to a people who haven't even tasted it yet, to a people who don't know that they're not being filled. When I sat down to prepare this message, the most, one of the most confusing things happened to me. I always make these notes the first go around that make no sense to me, and I go back to them like, I'm not doing this again, because it literally makes no sense. And on the top of my page, I had the word zombies written down, and I was like, <laughs> it's like I can't even like, relate this to like, The Walking Dead. Nah, I can probably do that. But it took me until last night late to realize the people that we are sent here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, they really honestly don't want the words. Like the words aren't helping. They need to see the sustaining connection of intimacy that happens with a believer and their God. And we don't even want to talk about that typically. But I got the picture that in our city, you can't, you can't share this with everybody. This is just between me and you, okay? It's just us. There are people walking around like zombies. They're still alive, but are they alive? Like, are they bad? No. Do we need to harm the zombies? No. That's why I don't like using that word. Like this, I evidently didn't walk through this. <laughs> but they are in need, and they feel like they're satisfied, and they're definitely not but are we satisfied, right? So this talks about, this passage talks about wells. And specifically for me, I've started to fall in love with the idea of wells because we've been watching a show 
called Alaska, The Last Frontier. Who, who's ever seen this show? That's my favorite show. And they have to do everything real time on their own. And at times they have to find water. And when they have to find water, everybody from all the farms comes together. They're not called farms there. They're called something else, homesteads. They all come together and they have this plan. And it's not as crazy as you'd think. But they get their dozers out. They dig deep. They put this thing in the water that makes the water build up. They put a pipe in it. The pipe comes into their house. Somehow the suction keeps it going. I don't understand how that works. Like in fit, I don't know how that works, but it works. But I had the idea for us, right? Like, so we're on this side of resurrection. And this passage is talking about digging from the wells. And I bet throughout history, people and entire communities have died while being four, five, 20 feet away from actual water. I bet that, and then there's no scientific evidence, there are communities that have had water just under the surface that have literally died not knowing how to get it. I think that's where I want to end today. I don't have anything else to say. I say that to say, it's easy to say Jesus is the well. That's easy. That's almost a cop-out to say Jesus is the well. Go be after Jesus. Go jump into a church. But it's very different to have some com- someone come to your house and thirst, and then you walk them to the well, and you both pull out a cup of water and drink the water. It's a very different thing to tell somebody to go to a well and then to go with someone to a well. And my hopes are, if anything happens in our body for our community, that we don't have to walk people 10 miles to a well, but we can pull, pull somebody up to our table, move our table aside, and have a well in our own home. That's not because we've told them 10 things to do to be a Christian, but they're actually drinking from the well of God. What does it look like for us to drink from that well? And I think what that looks like is when we don't see the fruit of what God will do, still having the joy and peace of God. 200 years before it happens, trusting in God so much that you can't tell if you're in a season where he's blessing you or it's not. Because your trust in him is so strong, it permeates across all of that. I think it's believers stopping, leaning into the lamenting in the morning. We get it. I get it. It's good to mourn. We should mourn with one another. But Jesus is coming through and will come through and is going to do more and will be more. And it's better to lean into that, even if we can't see it, than to wallow in the other. Let's stay in the other to show someone a well in the other. But let's lead people to the sustenance and the feet of Jesus, who is, he is. This community, 90% of them, this is where I think I like Jesus to really bring things to life in me in the passages. Take us, for example, if in you, if in you, 90% of who you are is in fear and doubt, and you see tangibly the things to be afraid of, like an Assyrian army that now you're captive to, which was very real, right? If you see now the things that you can point to and say, but look at this junk, can you point to at least, this is where the hope is. Is there 10% of you that still would say God is our source? Is there 10% of you that will do this? I don't know what to do at this point because all this other junk is real and I, I feel the weight of it but I will, I will fall on my knees because 10% of me will lean into you, God. And you let the 10% speak louder than the 90% because in the season of cleansing, he's brought those things out to show you. And at the end of it is this remnant that walks back into the place. 
but it takes the season of cleansing for those doubts, fears, frustrations, for the selfishness, for the, I don't need you anymore, God, which is what they did. They were given everything they asked for. Listen to this. Everything they wanted, they were given. And after they were given everything they wanted, they didn't need the giver anymore. They depended on their stuff now. The gift became more than the giver. God is now out of the picture. It's about this. It's not even about poor. It's about poor. And this is a a passage to send us to the poor and to the weak, but not just in that. It's a passage about someone forgetting their first love. And their first love was God. And we can serve the poor all day long. But if our first love is not God, it does not matter. I would say it's probably better to serve the poor if your first love is not God than serve yourself. If you can do that, that's, I mean, we can talk about it. That's good. But the point of this passage is a community being brought back to dependence on God is with us. That is our salvation. So you don't have to wait until the thing happens that you're praying for. And believe me, I want to pray with you to believe that those things are going to happen. You don't have to wait to know that God is your salvation. And you might not feel it at all. But you can fall on your knees and you can lean into at least the little bitty crevice that says to you, I have so much doubt right now. I'm so frustrated with the community of Christians. I'm so angry that I'm walking through this right now. Why am I sick in body? Why am I sick in mind? Why am I struggling with this? You can lean into that, but God is drawing you to a place where just that little bit of you that said, but I do believe, God, that you're still enough. I do believe that ultimately, God, you are drawing all things back to redemption. You are renewing all things. You're a God of renewal. You're going to renew everything, God. And I might not taste it, but I want my kids to taste it because, God, you're good. You're good. This passage is about a community of people before they feel it or see it, feeling it and seeing it. And a prophet comes into their life to say to them what they don't see so that they can believe what they will see, not so that it comes that day. So all of us who are prophets, it doesn't have to happen. And if God is sending you to someone, and he is sending us to someone, to speak to them the things that they don't realize yet, can't feel yet, in such a way that their dependence is on the king and not on the ending, so that whether or not it comes or not, they are fulfilled and restored. That is the Christian gospel. That is our gospel because we can't promise everybody all that they want, right? We're not all Oprah walking around with all kinds of stuff. We are real-time people and we have real-time hurt in our life. And the best give we can have to give somebody is drawing them to the well that we have on our own, which is our dependence on a God. If you're at a spot where you've decided to stop depending on God, don't hear the angry message from the Old Testament. Hear the message of Jesus in the New Testament, saying to you, I've come to those who are thirsty. There's not another source that will give you what you need. And you might want to fight me on that, but just look at your life and ask yourself the tough questions. Is there peace? Is there joy? Do you want to love others the way that you've been loved? Are you striving for identity? Are you like the Thessalonian church? where you've become so idle because you're so busy, you don't even know what to do. You wake up on Monday morning, you're like, I got another one of these stinking weeks coming? I cannot do this. You're doing the work of a whole community in one week, and we're celebrating you for doing it. You're idle because you're too busy. You have to create space. You have to create space. How much time does it take to get water from a piece of land that doesn't have water? I don't know. Like, let's get some shovels and go out and dig. The water's there right? Like, this is the work of the gospel. We don't make the water. It's not like a water company. Come get your water. 
we do find some shovels and we go to a spot and we dig it. And once we dig it, it's dug. And once we drink it, we drink. And once you're drinking it, it keeps coming. I, I still don't know how this works. I, I just have no idea. I'm like, when is that running out? Because there's no bucket down there. It's just water that keeps coming. And then it runs out and then the next season there's more, right? This is encouraging to me because in ministry, I feel like I am a well at times and I literally, whatever's after running out, I'm like, now I'm just like spitting dust at people. You enjoy that, Steve? But if we're connected to the well, this is the purpose of God being first. We go back to the well when we need to be filled. We go back to the well and then we give out what we have in our well and he fills our well. But it doesn't come from our well. We're not like, God will give you some of our well water today. You enjoy. He's like, I spew you out. And he gives us the water that we need. So, oh, today my, my hope, my hope for you, this is what I, back to the beginning, what's the reason we are on this planet? It's not to be emptied wells that people abuse. It's to be full of living water, knowing where the living water comes from. It's Jesus, it's God's son, it's the apostles' creed. That should be our main focus and emphasis. We can fight our battles we can fight in community. We can speak to injustice. We need to do that. But if our first love is not Jesus and what he brings us, it will not sustain. You will dry up. Many of you are there now. Return to the well, whatever that looks like. And the best way that I can say that is it may take some digging and it doesn't, they don't just walk outside in Alaska and they're like, here's your well, buddy. Enjoy your water. It doesn't happen. They gather up families together until they get the water. Because once they get the water, they can like move there, right? And if one house in this city, we actually had this conversation the other day because Noah loves how the world can end. So I told him about an electromagnetic pulse, which was one of the dumber things I've done. What are those called though? What's the shortness of those? Thank you. No, you'd know it. So an EMT is something that can destroy all of our electronics. So that's amazing. That's great. EMP pulse. So I told Noah that and he hasn't stopped thinking about it. But our conversation then became, well, buddy, what do we do? because our cars don't work. Sorry, guys. We have, to, we, have to drive, we have to walk to Jasper, and hopefully we're not killing each other on the way, because within like a day of that, we're all fighting in, my, in this version of my mind, where he has a well. He has a well dug out, or we have to figure out how to get a well. But if one of us has well water, and we all find out that one has well water, and none of us have it, what are all of us doing? What are we all doing? And then hopefully we don't come and kill them to live on their land, but he teaches us, here's how you dig a well so that they can live, right? Because it's important and that we can live. So that's the new system that will be happening soon. An electromagnetic pulse into well digging and you're all going to be good. So that's it. What's the point? You got to do the work. If you're too busy, it's not going to just jump in your lap, right? The rhythm has to change for something to change. And if you have to create space to be with your father to be filled, you have to do that. There's no version where that doesn't happen. You can keep accomplishing and that will give you artificial feelings of worth that don't last. Or you can start digging wells and dropping balls that need to be dropped so that you can actually live a life where people can come to the well that you profess so that they can drink the water. It shouldn't just be you bringing them here, right? It shouldn't just be, and that, that's not even like a real thing. But we should all be, right? And don't feel that as a burden, but just hear that if 10% of your heart, 8%, even 1%, right? Like has any desire for God, lean into it. 
Lean into it enough to say, I'll do something where I have to depend on you. If you have nothing in your life where you have to depend on God, do something to have to depend on God. Create a space where you have to. If you have to do something drastic, you can tell everybody that I told you to, I'll write you a note. Like, you can take it. Do something that makes you depend on him again. If there's no area you have to depend on him, you're not depending on him. That's not the purpose of the gospel. You could just be in that spot like a zombie walking around in our city for the next 40 years until you die. And then when you're dying, you're gonna be like, I'm so happy I decided to well up all this for myself. And I have seven houses. No, teach your kids how to build wells. Who cares about the house? You can, somebody can tweet that if they want. I don't, it doesn't really, just kidding. All right, if you can stand with me. So if, if you would, while we close in song, if you would just be honest about feeling, and there's no altar call today unless you want to come to this altar and then you can come all day long. If you seem to be a well that needs to dig a little more to create space, would you just raise your hand right now? So just keep it raised. Jesus, we admit we think we're better than you. We admit that our plans feel like the right plans, but you keep putting us in spots where we have to depend again and we get angry that it's not what we want and you're just saying, this was what I've given you to depend on. Help us to completely lean into you, whatever that looks like, whatever dangers may be ahead. Adventure is better than safety if it's in your midst. And I just pray that over you. And I believe this is actually a word for you today. God is calling you into adventure, not into security. His security looks different. It looks eternal. But adventure is what he brings you on for his kingdom, for the sake of the world. So Jesus, lead us into a space where we can say yes to you. And if we start to focus on the 90% of our heart that feels doubt and fear and anxiety, give the Spirit's guidance to guide us into the space where we lean on God so that you can replace the fear and doubt and anxiety with trust. And that's not easy, so I know it. But we, t- we need you. We need you in that. And Father, we thank you that we have your Son with us today on this side of the cross. We are not looking forward to what would happen. The wells are all over. And I'm just going to say to you, the wells are so close to you. You've had a grandmother that gave you a well. You've had a wife that's been drinking from a well. You have kids that are thirsty asking for a well, and you're like, you're good. You remember how to dig the wells. And today, God is going to restore in you the idea of what it looks like to go back to the wells. Dig the wells. Don't be ashamed if it looks goofy or stupid. Don't be a jerk about it either to the zombies. Be kind and compassionate. Let the grace of God draw people. The best way to show people how they need God is to do it for yourself in a way that brings joy to yourself. The people will flock to Jesus, not to you. We thank you, Jesus, for a space today to be reminded that you are our first love and that you are still pursuing us, God. You've never stopped pursuing us. Help us to create the space it takes to have vibrant relationships with Jesus, ones that don't impose your will on others, but love people so well that they know that they're seen before they're seen, that they feel the compassion and acceptance of a father before they see it 
Let us be the people that go first, like you did, into communities where we would be labeled things for loving people well. But you didn't care, you just did it because it was more important to help the broken. Help us to do that in our own families and help us to accept you to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Give us, give us the joy that we need to share the gospel. Thank you for the people that come to us that are broken, that we don't get to fix, but we get to show your feet, your face, and your love. We thank you, Jesus, for every good gift. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.